Chapter 2 of Mr. Wicker's Window. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or on how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Arthur Piantadosi, Los Angeles, California. February the 14th, 2010. Chapter 2 of Mr. Wicker's Window. Mike was in his class at public school, the eighth grade. Mike was all right. Chris liked him. Hiya, Chris. Hi, Mike. What you doing? Nothing much. Just looking. Say, you know something? Mike wriggled himself across part of the Pep Boy's window to gain Chris's attention. Old Wicker's got a sign in the window. He needs a boy. For after school, I mean. I think he'd pay, huh? Why'd you try? Chris looked from a nickel-plated flashlight to a car jack and spark plug. Oh, I don't know. Mike persisted. Well, I'll tell you what. Know who needs a job bad? That's Jakey Harris. His mother's sick. And he's got that bad foot. Why'd you ask for him, huh? You sing next to him in school. All Chris heard was, Needs a job bad. Mother's sick. Okay, he said. Only why didn't you ask him yourself? Mike became uneasy and fished an elastic band out of his pocket, made a flick of paper, and sent it soaring out in M Street. Well, he admitted, I did. Wicker's such a queer old guy. That old antique shop is dark and spooky and... Well, I went in, and there wasn't nobody there, only me, him and me. Mike stopped, and after a pause, just said, so what? So... Mike swallowed. So I said they was there about the job, and do you know what he said? He said... He went out without any urging, but with a frown of perplexity ridging his forehead. He said, Turn around and look out that window, son, and tell me what you see. Mike stopped and looked at Chris with a comical expression. Everybody knows what's outside his window, he burst out. Of all the silly things... But he turned around and looked, like he told me to, and of course there was the traffic going by, and trucks, and cabs, and people crossing the street, and the freeway red, and you know. So what did he say? Chris asked, and for the first time that day, the heavy weight he carried within him lifted and lightened a little. Mike examined the toe of his worn shoe. Oh, he just smiled, that funny little crackly smile, and said, I'm sorry, young man, you won't do. For a moment, both boys stared into each other's eyes, each questioning, wondering, and neither being able to supply the answer. The last Chris wrote the silence. Queerest thing I ever heard? Gee, what do you suppose? Mike took heart. His expression believed and his bafflement shared. He spoke cheerfully. It doesn't make sense, but Wicker's so old, he may be addled. Don't you reckon? Who else would keep an antique shop where nobody ever looks? All the other antique shops are along Wisconsin Avenue where people go to shop. You reckon Jake would really use the job? Chris asked, his courage ebbing as he pictured to himself the dark little shop with its bow window of small panes and Mr. Wicker. So thin and wizened he has seen only bones and wrinkles. Think he really needs it? He pursued. But Mike was certain, or perhaps he needed a companion on this curious experiment. You bet he does! He told me at noon today he wished he could find something that would help bring some money in. His mother's sick, he repeated, and Jakey don't look so good himself. Well, 
Chris said, half agreeing. I'll go with you, Oink announced, as if that finished the argument, which, as a matter of fact, it did. Chris did not feel too happy about his mission and hung back a moment longer, looking in the pep boy's window at things he had already seen. He would have liked to get the job for Jakey, who needed it, but somehow the task of facing Mr. Wicker, especially now that the light was going and dusk edged into the streets, was not what Chris had intended for ending the afternoon. Although he had been quite certain how he would spend the rest of the morning daylight, Mike's plan did not seem to fit his present mood. Are you coming? Mike challenged with a hint of derision. Yes, said Chris suddenly. I'm coming. I'll ask for Jakey. Mike's expression changed at once to one of triumph, but Chris was only partially encouraged. The two boys walked to the corner of M Street and Constant Avenue. Traffic roared up the first short block of Wisconsin from under the high of East Steel Freeway down to their left. Chris glanced down into the slope of Wisconsin. Houses and shops thinned suddenly on both sides of the street. Far down at the very end, on his side, he could see the brick walls and slate roof of Mr. Wicker's house. Chris knew it well. For times without number, he had pressed his nose to the square Georgian panes of Mr. Wicker's window to gaze at the strangely fascinating jumble of oddments they were displayed. Now, however, he felt in no mood to visit the curiosity shop and stood shifting his feet and looking aimlessly about. Mike, beside him, was becoming restive and gave him a poke. Bitcher aren't going after all! Just turned on him. Am too. Mike looks disdainful. Oh, you're stalling. Not any such thing. I'm going now. Okay. Let's see you. Chris turned his back on Mike and started down the hill. After a step or two, not finding his friend beside him, he turned. Mike was standing on the corner. Hi. Chris is called indignant. You said you were coming with me. Well, I was. Mike held back. But I just remembered. My mother told me to bring her some stuff from the Safeway. I'll run all the way and come back and meet you. Aw, oh, shucks. Chris collected an, uh, an existent pebble and scowled, but a chore was a chore and was never worth discussing. I'll meet you in 15 and 20 minutes, Mike shouted. It won't take me long. And throwing out his hands to signify that there was nothing he could do about it, he disappeared. Chris started off once more, passing a bleak little Victorian church perched on the hill above Mr. Wicker's house. An empty lot cut in into by Church Lane gave a look of isolation to the L-shaped brick building that served Mr. Wicker's both house and place of business. Chris paused and looked below him. Even from where he stood, fifty feet above the house, the slope of the hill was sharp and the plan of the house below him could be plainly seen. It was built like an inverted L, the short wing facing toward the street and traffic of Wisconsin Avenue. The longer wing, toward the back, had a back door that opened on a water street. The space between the house and Wisconsin Avenue had been made into a neat oblong flower garden, fenced off from the sidewalk by box shrugs and a white picket fence. Behind it, along the other side of the long wing, lay a meticulously arranged flower-vegetable garden and a few apple trees. His gaze moved back to the house itself. It seemed to have been built at about the same time as the vacant storehouses opposite, for they had a similar look of design and age. The windows of Mr. Wicker's house had smaller panes of glass than were used nowadays. Unlike the warehouses across from it, Mr. Wicker's had many dormer windows jutting out from the slated roof. Unlike the warehouses, however, which were rickety and down to heel, Mr. Wicker's home was well cared for. 
and the windows, except for the bow window on the, sh the shop to the right of the front door. That shutter is painted a pleasing bluey green, and at their, to their sides can be seen the edges of gay curtains. The traffic freeway was high above the roof, dwarfing the old house and casting a deepening shadow over the whole length of Water Street, shading even Mr. Wicker's back door, so close did it rise beside the house. The air was filled with mechanical sounds, the roar of cars speeding up the hill, the grind of gears, the shuddering throb of wheels along the freeway, and the clanketing bang of trains and weights in the factories along the shore. The sun was dropping, and scribe beside Chris made a sinister promise for the oldering day. A livid yellow stained the horizon beyond the factories, and gray clouds lowered and tumbled above. The air was growing chill, and Chris decided to finish the job. All at once he wondered how his mother was, and everything in him pinched and tightened itself. At the foot of the hill he reached the house. As he came to the bow front, the old familiar excitement that always seized Chris when he looked at Mr. Wicker's window touched him again, and he stopped to take a look at its well-memorized display. For as long as he had stopped to look at Mr. Wicker's window, which is as far back as he could remember, Chris had never known the objects to vary or be changed. There were three things that always caught his eye amid the litter of dusty pieces. On the left, the coil of rope. In the center, the model of a sailing ship in a green glass bottle, and on the right, the wooden statue of a negro boy in baggy trousers, Turkish jacket, and white turban. The figure was holding up a wooden bouquet, the yellow paint peeling from the carved flowers. The figure's mouth was open and engaging, toothy smile, and its right hand was on one hip on the chipped red paint of the baggy trousers. The ship, so often contemplated by Chris that he knew every thrunny thread and delicately jointed board, but this three-masted schooner, sleek of line, painted at one time a dazzling white. Now, with dust dulling the green sides of the bottle, its sails looked loose, its sides grimed. But the name still showed at the prow, and many a time, Chris, safe at home in bed, had sailed imaginary voyages in the Mirabelle. It lay there, snug and captured, as if in the bottom of a tropical sea, seen through the glass sides of the bottle, and Chris never tired of looking at it. But perhaps the coil of rope, so meaningless, so meaningful, held his imagination by an even stronger hold. Why a coil of rope in an antique shop? Who would want it? People bought rope in a hardware store. It was one farther along M Street near the old deserted Lido Theater. But here, in an antique shop? Chris shook his head as he stared. He had never seen anyone go into Mr. Wicker's shop, now he thought about it. How then did he live, and what did he ever sell? A sudden car horn woke him from the stream. He looked up, seeing for the first time the small card hung at eye level in the window. In a beautiful script such as Chris had never seen before, but very legible, the card read, Boy wanted good pay. W. Wicker. J.T. Harris came back into Chris's thoughts. He looked over his shoulder at the darkening sky, streaked with citrios strokes, noticed the wheel and tackle high up at the loft door of the warehouse opposite, and put his hand on the doorknob. The last flicker of light scudded across the seal sides of the freeway to pick off the lettering above the shop window. William Wicker, Curiosities. Chris opened the door, and a bell jangled very faintly. Far away in some distant part of the house. End. Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter 2. End.